LiveFlow is known for saving accountants time. Hours, days, even weeks for some. Well, LiveFlow has done it again, saving accountants even more time with their new feature, Automated Multi-Entity Consolidation. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, LiveFlow, later in the episode. We want to be the Chick-fil-A of payroll providers. Uh, We want to make sure that when people are done with their experience with us, they feel like they were important. You know, hence the white glove. You know, it's a service. It's a, our our, uh, team members, the people that are processing payroll are payroll concierges. You know, we we want to be the the Maserati of payroll services, not the Toyota Corolla. And, And that's what was important that we communicated because we weren't selling based on price. Uh, we, we are not the cheapest payroll provider. If you'd like to earn CPE credit for listening to this episode, visit earmarkcpe.com. Download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. Continuing education has never been so easy. And now, on to the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Earmark Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver, CPA, talking today with Tim Petri. Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. Tim, you are quite a busy guy. You've got two main businesses that you're running, HD Davis CPAs, and you also own a, a payroll firm, I understand, a White Glove Payroll. And between the two, 70 employees and about $7 million a year in revenue. Uh, so I guess I should say, first, thank you for making the time in busy season to come on the show. I appreciate it. Absolutely, man. We're we're pumped to be here. We're, it's uh, it's a crazy time of the year, but it's a, it's a good kind of crazy now, so it's exciting. The topic of today's show is taking a traditional firm and becoming a progressive firm. And from what you have told me in advance of this episode and, and what we've talked about on LinkedIn, it sounds like you're doing really progressive things. Uh, but your firm started as a very traditional one. So I'm wondering if you could give us the background on that. Like, how did you start? What was what did things look like ten years ago when you got into this business? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a pretty interesting story. When when I first started our firm, we had about four people. It was 2008. It was the midst of the financial crisis. CPA firms weren't hiring the same way that they are today. It was an entirely different labor market. I actually started working for HD Davis at the time as the receptionist. Uh, I was making eight, nine bucks an hour, just answering the phones. And I was I was lucky enough to uh, get close with Harold Davis, who was the owner of the firm at the time. We became really good friends. He became my mentor. He became my business partner. To some degree, a father figure over that period of time really took me under his wing. And he always had a different style of running our, our, our firm and had a different perspective on our business. He was always really an early adapter and one that was always adamant about balance and enjoying time with your family. And he had an amazing relationship with his kids. Um, so it, it was just one of those things that he was so far ahead of the curve. Um, it, it gave me a foundation to build from. So, you know, we worked together for about a year and he said to me, he said, man, I, I really think that, that you've got something here. I think that we can, we can grow. And so he continued to kind of guide me as we got started. Uh, we started acquiring a lot of small practices together, you know, anywhere from $100,000 a year of, of revenue to $400,000 a year of revenue, mostly tax-based businesses. 
and and we got we got a few years down the road, formalized our partnership. I took on more ownership, took on more responsibility. And then I realized quickly that as a tax-based business, you can only grow so far. Uh, you're you're kind of stuck in that confine of, of February and March and how much work you want to do for those two months. Uh, so at that point, we, we kind of evolved from a tax business to a, a full-service uh, CPA firm. We brought in uh, my, my current business partner, Joe Kilgore, to establish our A&A side of the business and started to add the audits and the reviews and, and some of the more traditional accounting services. And as years continued to go, uh, go by, we, we realized that even that had some serious scaling problems. It could only go so far. It could only grow so big with, you know, two partners. And, and we were both young guys and we really didn't want to go out and admit a, a bunch of new partners because we wanted to re- retain control of the business. So we uh, eventually then spun off the payroll portion of the business into its own entity and decided we were going to go all in on that company to make sure that it had the room to scale because you know the payroll business doesn't doesn't require the, the partner to sit down and, and meet with a client and review everything it's it's a little bit more scalable of a product and like the market was bad i mean the 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 competition in that space just basically just said we're going to abandon customer service and we're just going to give software to people so that that was one of the things that we tried to do to just scale a little bit more efficiently, and then shortly after that, I just continued to find more of a uh, of a passion in that in our fractional CFO space. Um, we were really early on that. I had started our fractional CFO division back in 2012, and we were already kind of servicing that middle market, so it was a really natural and, and easy transition. And then, you know, as we continued to just get momentum and became a little bit more of a recognized entity, we were able to attract higher level of talent. We were able to attract the, the really great people. And, and as we continued to accumulate great people, the business just took off. There was just no stopping us. Once we had the great people in the seats, uh, you know, there was really no slowing it down. So we've, we've gone through this full-blown evolution of a, a tax business to now a you know, full-blown advisory-based business and in, in a very progressive firm in our space. So it sounds like you got into this around the same time I did, uh, the fallout of the financial crisis. So like, were you working at the front desk because you needed a job? Like, how, how did you end up in that role? Because uh, that's, that's kind of what happened to me is I got into bookkeeping because I couldn't get a job doing anything else. Basically, that was it. I mean, we... You know, our, our, our city here, Youngstown, Ohio, got absolutely obliterated by the collapse of the steel industry in the, in the late 70s, early 80s, and just never really recovered all that well until recently. You know, so at the time, the financial crisis hit uh, pretty hard here, but especially hard in the financial markets. So, you know, the, the, the CPA firms and, and the, uh, the tech shops and everything just didn't have the ability to keep hiring. So I, I wanted to stay. I wanted to stay here, and uh, you know, I had a few opportunities to leave town and, and, and go work for a bigger firm outside of my city. But Harold and I kind of looked at each other and said, "You know what? I got six months before I got to leave and make a commitment to go to a big firm in Washington D.C. Let's just see if it could work." And, and that's kind of how it started. It was really supposed to be a temporary thing. It was supposed to be kind of like a six-month job just to help him out, get me a little bit more experience. And then we realized quickly it was going to be more than that. So you uh, you majored in accounting? 
Yes. Yep. Here uh, at Youngstown State. Oh, and I should say you're a CPA. Yes. As well. And and the firm is a CPA firm. Correct. H.D. Davis. Got it. You said you were just doing tax. Like when you started at the front desk, it was just tax. And it was a really small firm, right? Like how many headcount are we talking about? We had about four people. Uh, okay. We were doing a three to $400,000 a year in revenue, you know, and it, and it was tax and, and kind of the bookkeeping that you needed to do to, to do the tax work. Got it. So it was true, like shoebox style accounting, you know, like, and, and people actually brought in shoeboxes. Did that happen? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I mean, shoeboxes, brown paper bags. I mean, whatever <laughs> medium of, you know, smelly receipts you could bring in, they were doing it. My favorite story from that era of my life is, uh, I was I was in LA and I was doing some, you know, write-up work for a tax CPA and he sent me out to his client who was a composer, a musician. Mm-hmm. And musicians, I, I am a musician myself, so I know that we are probably some of the most disorganized people on the face of the planet and uh, when it comes to business. And the guy, he's really great. I love him. He's still one of my favorite clients I ever had. He goes into his office and he says, uh, well, he says to me, I'm going to get my receipts. Let me go into my office, and get my receipts. He comes back and he has, I kid you not, one of those big black trash bags. Oh no. That's just like full. It looks like Santa's sack of toys, right? <laughs> and in it are all of his receipts that have been crumpled up into little balls. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I feel like I have some, <laughs> some level of, of PTSD from those yeah. early years of that kind of stuff. I mean, it's, yeah. So, so I told him, I, I looked at it and I said, well, you know, the good news is I don't have to, you don't have to pay me to uncrumple all these little balls. Cause I'm just going to log into your chase bank account and pull everything. Yeah. You yeah. know, we're good. We're good. He's like, okay, great. I said, just hold on to these for the IRS. Just in case. Yeah. Just yeah. in case. Yeah. Well, so you were just a tax shop, uh, doing some bookkeeping, uh, uh spun out the payroll into its own entity. I want to talk about that. That's pretty neat. And then got it. You added the audit and the assurance. Yep, and then you just started acquiring firms, like, and and you said small ones, right? A few hundred yeah. thousand. We we acquired like the problem children. Uh, you know, we acquired the people whose succession plan failed. We acquired the people who maybe got an unexpected illness and needed bailed out at the last minute. We 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 were taking on the the acquisitions that nobody else wanted, and and you know, in part because. Uh, you know, I didn't. I didn't have a huge bankroll. Uh, I, I came up from nothing. I mean, I, I put myself through college, washing semi trucks. You know, working full time, going to school full time. There wasn't. There wasn't any financial backing that was making this thing come together. So, I mean, we truly bootstrapped this thing from the beginning. In in, we learned so much by taking over some of those troubled practices. Each time, we learned something not to do. And got better and better and better and more efficient in that process, and and it worked. I mean, w- I don't know that I, I'd I'd want to try to do that again today because it was most certainly a grind. But once we got to kind of that point of momentum where we could hire really quality people, things got a, a lot easier. Mm-hmm. So, so what did things look like from a tech perspective when you started, and um, and what did you do to change it? Tech, tech, tech. So. Funny story about when I first started, we had tax returns from 1946 in our building, like a lot of them. Uh, There was paper everywhere. Uh, You know, we had a garage that was filled with paper. I mean, there was no tech at all. We, when I started, they had just gotten computers like networked. 
and it was networked by my business partner's son, who is my age and, and just kind of, you know, uh, pieced everything together. So, I mean, there was, there was no, it, nothing was, nothing was, uh, integrated. Nothing was networked between uh, each other. I mean, we were using a tax software. Obviously we weren't doing tax returns by hand, but Not like, anymore. yeah, yeah, we, we had, we had clients that were still doing their bookkeeping and DOS programs. I mean, up until probably 2012. So, I mean, it was one of those situations where, I, you know, I, I've had a computer in front of me my whole life. I'm pretty handy around, around the internet and around a PC, but this was, this was a big task and a big undertaking. And we're just now finally getting to the point, uh, you know, 15 years later, uh, where our, our tech is really starting to get to be cool. Uh, and, and we've got some really smooth systems in place now that make everything a lot easier, but it took a lot of time to adapt, you know, those papered processes to digital process, especially because of the fact that we were, we were doing things on a tight budget. Like that's the challenge for every small firm, right? Is that mm -hmm. you're doing things on a tight budget because you're afraid to charge the right price. And, and that's the, that's the crux of every small firm's problem is they're afraid to raise their prices and charge what they should. So therefore they don't have enough money to pay for the right softwares. They don't have enough money to pay their people appropriately. They don't have enough money to retain their staff and invest in culture and do all those other things. So the minute that we started to, to price a, just a little bit more appropriately, we had a little bit more leftover cash to reinvest into those types of things. And, and the momentum started to really get exciting at that point. So what's your tech look like now? You know, you've networked the computers or you did that 15 step, years ago. Step, step one, we, we plugged the computers yeah. into a network. We, we actually, one of the things that we did pretty early on was we started opening these little remote offices uh, so that we could kind of support those like C and D markets where there weren't an established presence of a CPA firm. So we we were spinning up, you know, um, virtual virtual networks and uh, remote desktops when we were when we were going to those places. And we found at the time that our biggest challenge was internet. I mean, we, we when you're in those random rural country, you know, think Amish country, right? Yeah, That's literally yeah. where we were. You know, we we didn't have internet to support the system, so the software was only as good as the internet that was going. So, um, you know, we we built a platform that allowed for us to go virtual pretty early um, because what we were doing was we were supporting those small remote offices with our main staff back here in Youngstown. And which when allowed, you say remote office, does that mean like one person out there, or is it yeah, like a three or less? Three or less, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they they were really small, you know, operations. But then they they had either someone that retired or someone that was no longer practicing. So we needed to supplement some of that work back uh, to where we had all the people. So now today, our tech stack looks in, entirely different. Our tech stack is a is a really long list of different items. We're doing a lot of our our uh, workflow sharing in an Atlassian-based product called Trello, which I'm mm -hmm. sure a lot of people have heard of. Trello is a, is a really great product for small firms because it's not remarkably difficult and you can customize the heck out of it. And it allows for you ha to have a cloud-based workflow system. We, we tested all the other like industry-based workflow systems and just did not like them. I, I really yeah. have struggled with implementing any of the 
you know, traditional big brand products because they're all centric to a, a non-progressive mindset of how to run a CPA firm. I, I feel like the problem with most of the accounting firm practice management software out there is it was developed as a transition from the old, really paper-based routing systems. Those, you know, those routing sheets you used to have on tax returns. And they, they so the, the visual interface is not that great. Whereas Trello, on the other hand, was designed probably the it had the best visual design of any task management software on the market when it came out and still is really good with the Kanban boards and all that. Yeah. So that's really important to get adoption, right? Is is it has to be intuitive for the staff or they won't use it. You know, it's like that's the problem. And and I think I mean the tech has come just in the last two years, the the tech that supports our industry has evolved yeah. by at least ten to twenty years just in the last two. Yeah. Um, you know, and that was the biggest challenge was when we're trying to convert from a traditional firm to a progressive firm, we're we're writing our own softwares, we're writing our own code, we're writing our own supplemental systems. And it's not like you could just go buy something out of the box because they just they just aren't there. So it's it's gotten a lot easier over the course of the last couple of years with implementing some of these, you know, nicer products. But, you know, we we still have a ways to go. We have a big project right now where we're uh, setting the groundwork so that we can get away from timesheets next year. Oh, great. So, uh, tell me more about that. Like how, how do you, how, how do you leave your timesheets? Cause I think that's the biggest hesitation is like what replaces it. Yeah. I think first of all, I mean, timesheets are the dumbest thing that our industry has done. And the fact that we haven't like, we're generally an intelligent group of people as accountants and, and, uh, problem solvers and the fact that we're still relying on something as archaic as timesheets to me is kind of hilarious. Uh, especially the huge firms. It's like, you guys haven't had enough scratch laying around that you couldn't, uh, you know, reinvent the wheel here. You know, the, the problem is, is that we've gotten so comfortable with the timesheet metrics and, and that's how we're so used to judging people's productivity and profitability is it, it never forced anybody to try anything different. So, you know, when you leave a timesheet-based system, it it gives you the ability to have a platform of profit sharing, of productivity-based pay. You know, so it no longer matters how long it took you to do it. The question is, uh, do you want to give people the ability to work 10 hours a week and make $40,000 a year or work that 80, 90 hours a week and make a boatload of money? That's that's the thing that you have to be comfortable with in in walking away from timesheets is that you got to be comfortable with the fact that you're no longer going to say, hey, I need you to work 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week. The conversation is now, how much money do you want to make? And that's how much you're going to work. And that's how we're going to assign out projects. And your efficiency and productivity is how you're going to get paid. So it's it's more of a mindset shift for people. And, and that's the, I think that's the most difficult part is getting your staff to buy into that. And, and, you know, so. This episode of the Earmark podcast is sponsored by Liveflow. Did you hear the news? Liveflow just launched a new consolidation product. Liveflow power user Beth Melcher of MoneyFit said that Liveflow's consolidation is saving her team 15 to 20 minutes per client every week and eliminates the use of formulas. Liveflow's automated multi-entity consolidation is simple to use. 
You can easily map multiple unmatching charts of accounts from multiple QuickBooks Online companies into one standardized report. Once it's set up, LiveFlow works its magic, updating the consolidations automatically in real time, so you can focus on analysis using instantly updated data across entities. LiveFlow can even consolidate financials that are in different currencies. And the possibilities don't stop there. LiveFlow empowers you with flexible, powerful reporting tools to create customized dashboards that meet your specific needs. Build executive presentations, cash flow forecasts, and more with just a few clicks. To stop grueling over manual consolidation reports and to get 25% off your first three months, be one of the first 10 listeners to head over to earmarkcpe.promo slash liveflow. That is earmarkcpe.promo forward slash L-I-V-E-F-L-O-W. I've got some friends who are firm owners that hear me talk about this all the time. And they said, one of them said, uh, you know, I went to my staff and I asked them, would you want to, you know, drop the timesheets? And the staff actually said, no, we, we like our timesheets. You know, there's a certain comfort factor in, yeah, in and that. I, so I'll tell you my, my opinion on, on running our firm has been, you know, we hire adults, right? And, and the timesheets to me are simply a way of micromanaging people. Now, some people need micromanaging. Right. Some some people want that. They thrive on that. They prefer the timesheets. That's fine. But I have some really high producing entrepreneurial people that they're just the timesheets are never going to encapsulate the value that they bring to their clients. So, you know, they, they find themselves in a position where they're like, OK, well, now I have to I have to post 14 hours of this, even though it only took me two because that was the value that I created in this equation. Right. Yeah. And, and why should I be penalized? Because I'm bringing value to someone and it only took me two hours to do it. You know, yeah. so I, I think that, you know, it's not for everyone. You know, it's it's not something that you could universally apply to your entire firm and just say everybody's going away from timesheets. But I do think that the more options that you have when you can say to people, hey, do you. Do you want to come in and work in five in the morning and leave in two in the afternoon? Do you want to work a nine to five? Do you want to work noon to eight? You know, the idea for me is to build a platform where people can come to work and work how they want to work. And we can come up with a way of making it profitable for both of us because there's a huge shortage in our industry. So people that want to be rigid and don't want to adapt and don't want to involve and give people these various different opportunities – they're just going to get left in the dust because they're not going to be able to retain and attract the right kind of talent. So, yeah, maybe, maybe that's the way to do it. Is uh, what you implied there? It sounds like you're going to give people the option mm-hmm. of keeping their timesheet or switching to a different type of compensation structure. And I would have been one of those employees who said, "Yes, reward me based on my outputs, not my inputs." Yeah. And part of the reason I I left my firm I was at was because I didn't feel like I could get rewarded for what I was achieving. You right. know, I, I was capped by the hours yep. I could work. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's great. I, I, I'm going to have to come back and talk to you more after you've uh, implemented this to hear your, yeah. your takeaways. That would be great. We're, we're starting with a small group of people. We're starting with our folks in our fractional CFO department because those are the right people. Like yeah. our fractional CFO team are, are just more, entrepreneurial problem solvers that are that are generating value versus you know our, our our tax team is amazing but sometimes it's hard to 
quantify that value beyond just tax filings. Whereas, hey, you're in a fractional CFO situation and I just sat down and coached you on how to charge the right price for your product and coached you how to negotiate discounts with your vendors or manage your cash flow or you know, any of those solutions that a CFO would provide. And it, it took me it took me two hours to do it. But the reason it took me two hours to do it is because I just spent the last 15 years learning the mistakes. Exactly. That's a perfect area to not do timesheets because there's not this link between the hours you work and the impact you have on the client. You can have a really big impact in one hour. And, Correct. And is that worth $300? It's pro- it could be worth $300,000, right? There's no way right. to, to, yeah, quantify that with hours. Well, let's talk about your CFO practice because a lot of accounting firms want to add advisory services. CFO is one of those common uh, ways we describe it. The uh, AICPA is all over this. All the state societies say, got to move to advisory. So yeah, tell me about that practice. How'd you go about starting it Starting it up? Because you didn't have you know, one when you started. Yeah, it, it started with a terrified phone call. I was actually on a, a, a trip with a client. Uh, I, was on a, I was on a fishing trip with one of my clients. And I got a phone call from one of my largest clients, and he was just in in absolute shock. His CFO had passed away unexpectedly. They he got in a, a car accident, and he knew everything about the business. He was a young guy, so they weren't really worried about a succession plan. They weren't really documenting a lot of procedures, and the owners of that company relied on him. 100% to make sure that everything was taken care of. So, you know, when he passed away unexpectedly, I was the first phone call. Uh, and they said, hey, you know, so-and-so has passed away. We need your help. We need you to help us figure this problem out. Okay, I'll be there tomorrow. Uh, so I, I drove home. I got to their place and I proceeded to spend the next month acting as their CFO while I was still running our practice. And you know, I got through that and it was one of the most rewarding times of my career because, you know, it's one thing to, to save somebody some tax dollars and, and to help them understand their tax return or to do some of the more traditional services. But this was different. This was me. I, I solved a real problem in their world. And by the end of it, we, we had formed such an amazing friendship and relationship as a result of me being able to come in and figure that out, build processes, and then help them hire their next person and, and uh, you know, train the next person and, and get that person going. It just felt so much more rewarding. And I never forgot that feeling. And, and as we got further and further down the road, I said, I, I, want, I, want, I want that again. I want more of that. And, you know, as we got further down the road, we, we saw the labor problems start to have, happen. And we saw the accountant shortage start to happen. And we saw some of these other things come to fruition. And we decided to, to launch that division specific to the nonprofit space. Um, and we came in and, and we realized quickly, cause I was on a bunch of boards and volunteering and helping local nonprofits around here with just my time that they all had the same problem. They couldn't afford to, to hire somebody good. They couldn't afford to retain someone good. So we said, okay, well, I, we think that we can do this in a way where it's going to get you guys the service that you need as the nonprofit. 
It's going to ensure that you've got consistent quality information. You're not going to have to worry about the, the person sitting at the desk. If, if they get sick or they want more money or they get another opportunity or they just abruptly leave, you, you no longer have to worry about it. We did a couple of those, and it was an absolute game changer. You know, we were providing way better information to the boards than they had ever received. We were making, you know, real tangible impacts on their organizations. And, you know, I, I just, I looked back and I said, okay, this is that feeling. This is that feeling of, of purpose. And then, you know, as, as I'm continuing to go down and, and running our practice and growing our practice and I'm, I'm seeing people just burn out and leave and turnover every couple of years, I said, turnover is the problem. Turnover is the issue that we need to figure out how to resolve. And there's only so much you can do to resolve the turnover problem, right? I mean, you, you've got to charge the right price. You've got to be able to pay people the right amount of money. But even if you're paying them the right amount of money, you're still missing that function of purpose. You're still missing that, I feel great about what I did today. So, that's when we when we decided to go pretty pretty hard at the fractional CFO division. I uh, called one of my my buddies up. Oddly enough, uh, the guy that I hired to be that CFO was the guy that I then hired back to run our fractional CFO team. So it came full circle as a result of that. That client was our first our first fractional CFO client, and then we just we just continued to grow from there. Because of the fact that what what happens now is you get your first couple of years in public accounting, you learn the ropes, you understand how to do bookkeeping, you understand how to do taxes, you understand the the broader principles at play. So now I have a pipeline of CFOs that are getting trained through the public accounting firm, right? So instead of at three years, them leaving and going being a controller somewhere because they don't love the craziness of public accounting, now it's, hey... You know, I'm I'm three years in. I feel pretty comfortable at what I'm doing. Can I can I start to work in that fractional CFO division? And it's immediately making drastic Im- improvements on our our organic turnover. I mean, for the last two years, we've had single digit percentage organic turnover in our industry, which is crazy. Congratulations! Yeah, for anybody who doesn't know the numbers, typical firm turnover is in the double digits, if not twenty or thirty percent right now. So yeah. That's yeah. amazing. That's that's so smart because it has been just a given that firms would hire and turn over their staff every two, three, four years, mm-hmm. but you've given them a place to go if they want more. Yep. And they can learn to do all that controller and CFO stuff. So uh, it's not like they're not going to eventually go to industry, but you get to keep them for even longer potentially. Right. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Uh, how do you uh, how do you price advisory or, or CFO services? Are you doing it hourly at the moment, and you're going to switch it to fixed fee? Do you fix it? You know, what's your strategy? We're fixed fee almost completely. Uh, very rarely do we do hourly engagements. You know, basically, it's part of our initial assessment period where we sit down with a client. We say, Hey, wh- what are you paying right now? What are you paying your CFO? What were you paying your accounting department? And I take it you're usually coming in when they've lost their CFO or they've lost their controller. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, part of our solution that we've provided for people is that our our payroll company has, you know, HR consulting services. So sometimes we get asked to come in and help them hire a new person. So, 
you know, we can give them that option. Hey, we'll build out the job posting. We'll help you find a great person. We'll, we'll, we'll filter through those resumes for you and get you some quality interviews. Or if you, if you aren't finding the right people that you want for the right price, then let's see if we can build something for you that would satisfy your needs at the right price point. Because, you know, what we can do on our end is instead of having that, you know, CFO level individual doing all the work, we can break it up. Right. So instead of having the CFO person entering checks, we've got our administrative staff entering checks. Uh, instead of that CFO person doing bank reconciliations, we've got the administrative person doing the bank reconciliations. That's right. And then we've got our senior level staff reviewing that. And then by the time it gets to that CFO level person, it's clean. And then they can do the real CFO level service at that point in time. So more often than not, we're able to come to them and say, hey, you were paying somebody $100,000 a year. You know, we can come in at, at below and or around the same cost. But now you don't have to worry about somebody quitting. You don't have to yeah. worry about somebody getting sick. You don't have to worry about somebody's vacation time and health insurance and benefits and all the scary stuff about employment. You know, and, and then the COVID happened. And then... Yeah it opened up the door to doing things more virtually and it obliterated the labor market and it caused this crazy supply and demand problem for accountants, both internal and external. So it was just, we were in the right time. We were in the right place at the right time. We were prepared for that opportunity and more and more people became open to it because initially when we first started doing it, they were like, well, why aren't you here every day? And, and why aren't you sitting in my office with your suit and tie on every day like our CFO used to. Right. And, you know, eventually we had enough of those conversations where we said, look, it's different. It's different now. And people are really starting to feel it now because it's just impossible to hire those people. Yeah. And that's why highlighting the continuity is so important. And you're doing that in your marketing mm -hmm. is you're saying, look, the biggest risk is you're going to hire somebody and then they're going to leave. If you hire us to do this fractionally, then you don't have to worry about that. We provide the continuity. Yep. And and also, I love how you're pricing in context of what it would cost them to fill the position. Right. You're not doing it from an hourly perspective. No. Uh, it's And that's how people think about prices when they're looking mm -hmm. at buying something. It's, what are my alternatives? Right. And so that's, that's the way to go. So, well, that's great. I mean, I imagine that practice is just growing by leaps and bounds, the, the, the CFO practice. Yeah, it's um, it's it's been fun to watch. Uh, it's certainly an interesting thing, and it's just one of those things that, as technology continues to get better, the service gets better because mm -hmm. now we're able to provide better reporting dashboards and better reports and all this other great stuff. So, uh, it's just getting better and better, literally every day. What about your payroll company, White Glove Payroll? Why spin it out into its own entity? Because a lot of firms, you know, they might still do payroll in house. Often it's not its own business. Mm -hmm. uh, what was the what was the rationale for that? Well, for a couple of reasons. I mean, number one, I'm I'm a big fan of being able to motivate people with equity and profit sharing, right? So you know, one of the things that was important to me was once I had that person that was running that company, I wanted them to own a piece, mm. uh, and I didn't want them to be subject to the confines of a CPA firm ownership, right? Because you don't need to be a CPA to, to run a payroll company. Um, you know, you, you can have that learned knowledge about the CPA industry. We can have CPA support. 
Um, but that was important to me to be able to have that option for those folks. It was also important to me so that it was independently branded because being a CPA firm that does payroll and a payroll company that's outstanding at customer service are two different communications, right? Um, you know, uh, generally speaking, the CPA firm that did payroll is like, well, I guess we'll do it. Uh, you know, we're okay at it. We don't love it. Um, we don't know how to price it. We don't have the right technology, but you didn't like working with the national providers and it makes it easier for us to do our job. So we'll do it right. Uh, with us, it's, it's different. I mean, we, we want to be the Chick-fil-A of payroll providers. Uh, we want to make sure that when people are done with their experience with us, they feel like they were important, you know, hence the white glove, you know, it's a service. It's a, our, our uh, team members, the people that are processing payroll are payroll concierges. You know, we, we want to be the, the Maserati of payroll services, not the Toyota Corolla. And, and that's what was important that we communicated because we weren't selling based on price. Uh, we, we are not the cheapest payroll provider. However, because you're white glove. So correct. It, it makes that's so because you don't worry about it, man. Yeah. You know, it's it's a great service. You love talking to your person. They know your business. You know, when when you submit a timesheet that's wonky, somebody forgot to check out or clock out of, of your time system, your payroll people know you well enough to to ask and say, "Hey, this this payroll looks a little weird. It looks like we're paying so and so a little bit too many hours. Is that right?" You know, so it just those little things, just those little incremental. Uh, wins on the service side of things uh, has, again, continued to provide value. And it all comes back to that same concept of if we're providing value to our clients, our clients appreciate us. If our clients appreciate us, then you enjoy going to work because your communications are with people that value the work that you do. And, and it's not about just some commodity. It's not about, oh, just putting you know the numbers in the boxes for the tax returns or just you know, processing payroll or whatever. It's it's about having purpose, which again has has provided us a really cool opportunity to retain our employees. One of the other things that's really cool about White Glove, and I think this is probably my favorite, is that it's completely remote and our the vast majority of our labor pool are stay-at-home parents. We we saw a huge opportunity in the labor market that no one was satisfying was that, you know, we're, we're in Youngstown, Ohio. It's, it's not easy to get, get great people to come to work. So we needed to make sure that we, I was going to find those great people wherever the heck they were at and, and realize quickly that there's a ton of great people that are, you know, staying at home with their kids and still want to work and still want to be a part of something and still want to have some purpose. But, you know, this allows for them in the first couple of years, that the, that the, the, the kid's born, you can do one or two payrolls. You can, you know, keep your skills sharp. You can have some social interaction with people. You've got something to do. And as the kids get a little bit older and they go to daycare, they go to preschool, they go to grade school, you can dial up. You can add a few more payrolls. And it, it just, it was one of those things that we thought might work, but we had no idea how great it would work. And we had no idea how much those people would love those jobs and love that flexibility. And that business was 100% remote well before COVID. So once COVID hit, we had just a slew of great resumes. We had a slew of great people that we were able to bring in, teach them how to do payroll, 
you know, monitor them to ensure that the quality of the service was still great. And they were thrilled. They loved coming to work. They loved being a part of it because it was an opportunity that they just they wouldn't have had otherwise. I love that you provide that flexibility to employees. I feel like one of the challenges of our profession is that it has historically been very inflexible. You are either all in at an accounting firm or you're all out. There's yep. there's no in-between. And all in might mean crazy busy season hours, especially at the the bigger firms. Yeah. But not everybody's interested in that. And no. I guess it worked in the past because there was this growing pool of labor for sure. a long time, right? The the boomers and then the millennials, the the boom after that. But now every generation has been smaller. And so mm-hmm. we we don't have just this giant pool of labor and the firms that adapt and provide flexibility and flexible working options really have their pick. Correct. Um, because I think that's what the unemployment number hides. As we record this, it's February. And I believe that U.S. unemployment is the lowest it's been since 1970. But, right. but that masks all the people who have opted out of the labor force. Correct. Parents right. who are staying home to care for kids because childcare is too expensive, or maybe older folks who don't want to go to work because they've got COVID fears, you know, that it's all anything, anything and everything, right? Yeah. There's so much, there's so much uh, labor out there if you go to non-traditional workers. Right. And yeah. it's just one of those things that a lot of the historical traditional firms got fat. They got comfortable. They got complacent. It worked for decades and decades and decades. So why did they need to change? Why did they need to adapt? You know, so for those of us that were just building from the ground up and were forced to look at things a little bit differently, we had a, a competitive advantage uh, yeah. through this process. Um, so, you know, it's not, I don't think that it's, you know, obviously it's not any one person's fault. It's just one of those things that it, it, it worked for so many years and it, it took great care of a lot of those partners that made a ton of money at those big firms. But there was there was just no one to challenge it because there was always someone that was next in line. You know, the the traditional public accounting firm is essentially a pyramid scheme, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's only as good as the person that's going to ultimately end up buying it in the end. And when you had an endless supply of those people that you can convince that being a partner at a CPA firm was a great thing, it worked. But now, you know, the 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 pool is much smaller and there's not as many people and those people are looking at it and saying, so you, so you're telling me I need to work, you know, 80 hours a week for the next 30 years so that I can retire and get a a reasonable amount of money when I retire. That doesn't add up. Something doesn't make sense. You know, we're, we're kind of a generation of, of now. We're a generation of having the internet in front of us. We can learn very quickly. We can adapt very quickly. So we're just not really getting super excited about that traditional CPA partner role. I wonder how much of this is the fault of Instagram and TikTok, because now whenever your friends go on vacations, you see it like right yeah. there in your face. Oh, uh, how's Lake Como? It looks nice in Italy. And here I am sitting in my firm working the, you know, the long hours. I feel like that's got a somebody's going to do a study and figure out that has something to do with it. But I'm sure it doesn't hurt. I mean, it's just, and I think it's a generational thing too. Is that you know we saw our parents go through things like 2008, where where they were 
just dispensable. They were disregarded. They were cast aside. They were fired. They were, uh, you know, not valued. They were not important. And it was like, okay, well, you worked all these years and Decades. I gave so much. And then you just cast me aside, right? So yeah. I, I think that that's just a generational difference is that a lot of us uh, in our, our, our 30s and, and maybe early 40s even are looking at this differently and saying, okay, well, I don't need to buy as much stuff, right? I don't need to be as materialistic. I don't need the fancy car. I don't need the huge house. I would much rather go somewhere that I, I, I feel valued and appreciated and I can love what I do. And, and what a lot of people are realizing now is that, oh, man, when I, when I actually love what I do, I'm better at it. And then consequently, I'm making more money as a result of the fact that I'm better at my job, right, where everybody was just afraid to take that leap. And I think that, you know, to your point, social media has proven that you can take the leap and that there are – there's so many opportunities and there's, there's reason to believe that you can, you can further yourself by going all in and committing to yourself rather than just staying in the confines of what historically worked. Yeah, I'm a big fan of – instead of trying to – I mean, trying to make more money is great and being entrepreneurial is great, but figuring out how to do that in a way where you're not sacrificing your health and your family and your friends, Correct. right? Yep. And the easiest way to do that, to get, have it all – is to leave those high cost cities that yep. lots of us are in. I was in LA and you move to a place that can be a third, a, a half the cost and you can live a really high quality life. Yeah. And the beauty of accounting now with the cloud is we can do it from anywhere. Right. So even if you're not making as much money, even if you're making half as much money as you were in the office tower in New York or LA or Seattle, you're still better off. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are realizing that. Yeah, but us accountants are finally looking at the net number, right? Which is shocking that it took us that long to figure that out. But yeah. Yeah, you have to quantify everything other than the money too, right? It's not just Correct. about the money. Yep. Uh, it's about the time. I don't know if I mentioned this, Tim, uh, but you have achieved some accolades in your career already. You're a 40 under 40 on the CPA practice advisor list. Your firm has been named the number one firm for women in the country, as well as uh, one of the top three small firms in the nation in back-to-back uh, -back years. You were the number two best employer in the state of Ohio. Uh, that's according to the Cranes Business Journal. You were recognized for having the best culture in the BDO Alliance in 2022. We've talked about some of the things you're doing right, obviously, which is creating the flexible work and giving people opportunities to move up into more advisory roles. Is there anything else that you are doing that you would uh, highlight to other firm owners who want to create a better workplace? I think we're the biggest thing that sets us apart and what people find to be different when they come here is that we genuinely care about our team's success. We, we care about people's individual progress in their careers and their success. So we work really hard to find the right path for people rather than just saying, hey, we need people in the audit department. Let's just jam you there. We need people in the tax department. Let's jam you there. We've had a lot of non-traditional hires, a lot of people that weren't, you know, classically trained accountants or degreed accountants that came in and we taught how to be bookkeepers or we taught how to do payroll. So we've taken a genuine interest in people's careers, I think is a, is a huge part of it. And then our, our leadership team has worked really hard to improve their communication skills. 
one of the things that I was frustrated about in our industry was that, you know, leaders in the public accounting space manage people poorly. Um, you know, they, they manage people based on, I need to see you at your desk from eight in the morning until eight o'clock at night. They were not managing people based on the quality of their work. They weren't managing people based on all these other factors. So, you know, anybody that is a, uh, a manager and above in our company has access to a communications coach and they work with that communications coach to write better emails, to give better feedback, to work closely, to make sure that they're, they're genuinely caring about the progress of the people that are on their team. There's plenty of other things that I think people love about coming here. You know, we're a pet-friendly office. There's dogs that are in the office. Um, we we provide people with a meal prep service during tax season. We say, hey, listen, if you've committed to the to the tax life, you know what you're getting into. You love it. You're a sick individual like <laughs> myself. But at least what we're going to do is we're going to make sure that you're eating good food during tax season. We're not we're not going to order in pizzas and do all this other crap. Oh, we no pizza parties? You're breaking the rule of... Yeah, of we're breaking the old pizza life. party rule. Yeah, we have a company that delivers uh, meal preps to our team uh, once a week that they keep uh, and use throughout the week. And they're, you know, protein, veggies, starch, uh, very healthy, you know, uh, meal for them to eat and stay fresh. You know, we do things like today at, at noon uh, before everybody went and got lunch. We had a little, uh, we had 15 minutes where we all sat together and stretched. Uh, we had our wellness coordinator worked with everybody to to get good programs going for everybody and, and do things within the confines of what people's limitations are. So, I mean, the, the the list goes on and on and on about the different things that we we do and have done to try to make it a great place for people to work. But I, I think at its core, it's just the fact that we we care about the people that we work with. We care about their success as much as ours. And it's not that mentality of uh, it's a dog eat dog world, and I got to step on so and so to to move up in my career, and I got to throw this other person under the bus. It's we we win together, and and the people that don't like that environment, and the people that want to win at the cost of their colleagues, don't work here. And when we fire bad employees, and, and we fire people that we don't care if you're the most profitable employee in the world. If you're going out and you're just slamming new work and you're you're crushing all your statistics and this, that, and the other, if you're a jerk, you're not going to stick around. I have a very strict rule about that. We, we had a um, you know, somebody years back that was an outstanding accountant, um, but just talked to everybody like they were beneath them. And, and that person lasted two weeks with me. I'm a firm believer in you talk to the, the secretary the same way as you talk to the CEO, because guess what? I was the secretary. Right. So you were the receptionist. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I want to treat people the way that I want to be treated. And yeah. I think that that simple concept is, is gone really far for us. So like, to me, I'm, I'm excited about the accolades, right? I'm, I'm excited about the cultural wars that we've won, but to me, it's really disappointing. Uh, and, and I think that that's the part that I've taken away from it is that we're not doing anything crazy, man. I mean, we're just, we're treating people the way that we want to be treated and we're, we're caring about our team members. So that's the part that I kind of get a little bit frustrated by is that, hey, we're, we're number one in the country and, and we're still figuring things out. We're still learning ourselves. We're not perfect. We still got a long ways to go. Um, you know, but the fact that other firms haven't made that a huge priority to just treat people the way that you would want your child to be treated when they go to work. Mm -hmm. um, 
that's it. That's all we're asking for. And that's all we're doing. It's not rocket science. Well, thanks for sharing your tips and, and your successes with us. Hopefully it will inspire other firm owners to do the same and make accounting a better place to live and work. Tim, if people want to connect with you online, learn more about you, where should they do that? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm, I'm relatively active there. Uh, yeah. I, I, I tend to keep an eye at least on, on the uh, communication of messages in there through the, the slew of, of sales, this, that, and the other. Uh, we're in the process of, of uh, redoing our website. It should be done here in the next couple of weeks. That's www.hddaviscpas.pro. And uh, you can you can see our, our uh, contact us page and, and check everybody out there. Cool. Well, you know, I got to say, I'm looking at your website right now. And one of the things that sticks out to me is you've got pictures of people on your website, your team, right? And their families. And uh, it's, it's amazing to me that like this is one of those basic things where show your humanity on your yes on your marketing in your website uh, will really do a lot. So, uh, Tim, thanks for your time today. Really appreciate having you on the show and hope to have you back soon. Thanks for having me, man. Love what you're doing. Keep killing it. It's uh, it's contributing to something special in our industry. So big fan, big supporter of the program and keep it up. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that you learned something new. And if you did, wouldn't it be nice to get some CPE credit for it? Well, I've got great news. My new app, Earmark CPE, offers free NASPA-approved CPE credits for listening to podcasts, including this one. Visit earmarkcpe.com to download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. That's earmarkcpe.com.